Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Shoot me in the face! In the face! Do it! Shoot me in the face! Face, 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 face! Now! Bullets in the face! Want him! Need him! Gimme, gimme, gimme! At the sound of the bell, it will be face shooting o'clock! Bong! Welcome to War Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind our favorite games. I'm Bavia. And I'm Caleb. And today we're talking about one of your absolute favorite franchises of all time. For me, it ranks top three, Borderlands 2. How are we feeling about it? I've been wanting to do like this series, like been doing Borderlands episodes for since the podcast began. And so it's really great to finally be talking about one of my favorite franchises. A franchise that's getting a really major update later on in third to fourth quarter 2019, Borderlands 3. I'm super hyped about it, and I'm so glad we're able to have a bunch of these discussions bringing Borderlands 2 back into the conversation. Like, I'm, you're probably more excited about it than I am. I don't think it's possible to be more excited than you are. I'm, I'm beyond excited for the new game. I'm really excited to be talking about the old games like this is a really really interesting universe it's really deep and a big part of what i want to talk about today is how like just how nuanced a lot of that depth gets and it's funny because a lot of people when they think of borderlands 2 they just think of like shooting looting and explosions and that's kind of it they're thinking subtlety like what's there there's subtlety in borderlands 2 i don't see it i'm going to need someone to break it down for me so let's break down the subtleties of the way Borderlands uh, portrays the value of life and the ethics of killing. Wait, what? You you said yourself, Borderlands is a universe that doesn't have a whole lot of, like, tonal subtlety. It's a lot of explosions, a lot of guns, a lot of shooting things that are running at you screaming. When we think of Pandora, or rather, when I think of Pandora, I don't exactly have the ethical quandaries of killing bandits in the back of my mind. I'm not having a breakdown every single time I, uh, I crack open Gearbox's game, but it seems like you've thought about this a lot more than I have. I just see sort of Pandora as this universe where everything's mean to you. Con conflicts are solved by bullets rather than words and life or death doesn't really matter because there's new use stations kind of all over the place. So Mm -hmm. Is that is that is is that not the case? Is there something I'm missing? Obviously, like yeah, Borderlands as a universe is portrayed as uh, hostile and uncaring to life, um, overwhelming majority of the time. Almost every major character in the game um, has killed several people prior to you meeting them, um, and most of them are introduced while in the process of killing or attacking someone else. <laughs> Think about it, like uh, Ellie's introduction, <laughs> um, Tiny Tina's introduction, <laughs> Marcus's introduction. 
Um, and Zed's. Oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah. yeah, like Roland's introduction. He's shooting a robot. Lilith's introduction. She's wiping out bandits. Mordecai's introduction. He's shooting down racks. Like, so yeah, virtually every character is introduced in the process of attacking or killing um, someone else. Now, like, one thing to just get this out of the way real quick, because this is relevant to both sides of the argument. Um, the developers have actually outright said that the new you, as, like, an in-game mechanic, is intended to be a gameplay element, not a story element. Oh, okay. So, to the characters here in Borderlands, like, permadeath is active, not not to us and our experience as players, per se. Yeah, but like, and so that's okay. why that's why no matter how many times Roland got resurrected in Borderlands 1... When he dies in Borderlands 2, spoiler warning, um, it's permanent. Same with Handsome Jack. Like, even though, tentatively, Hyperion owns the new U station. Now, that having been said, the new U stations are very tonally synchronous, I guess, with the game. They're very fourth wall breaking, for lack of a better term. They're, they're fourth wall breaking, but they still kind of match the tone of the rest of the series of this idea of, haha, you just died a bunch of times. Like, or haha, you just, haha, a bunch of people just died. It's very uncaring about your life or the life of people around you. And it's very, like, profit over life. Right. And I feel like that sort of situation kind of defines all Borderlands, too. It's just like, hey, mm-hmm. profit over life. Exactly. We don't, we don't exactly care about who we're shooting in the face as long as we're not dead at the end of the day. I know that, I know that Marcus sold weapons to Crimson Raider enemies and the Crimson Raiders themselves. He's war profiteering and he's thinking, listen, I don't really care who I sell my guns to or my gear to as long as I'm getting a quick buck out of it. And hey, I'm living this cush life in Pandora and I'm a necessity and my face is plastered over every other vending machine on this godforsaken planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like despite that, he's portrayed as anti-heroic at worst. Like, and so, like, literally actions he's taking are probably resulting in Crimson Raiders dying, and mm-hmm. that it, that doesn't really give him as big of a blip on the direct karma meter. Whereas, like, we also have things like Suicide Bandits and the Cult of the Firehawk and, like, most directly Face McShooty, all of which are characters who are actively attempting to die. <laughs> Marcus isn't the only person who has this very blasé look on the value of life in the Borderlands universe, right? I mean, I feel like just immediately that comes to mind. We do have people running gladiator deathmatch arenas and the Underdome, right? And that's Moxie. Or- uh, Brick says at one point you can go ahead and uh, kill his men and allies. Um, he even adds that he does so on a regular basis so you've got people are killing their own men people are taking actions that literally result in mass death like the overall message of the entire franchise is that pandora doesn't give a quarter cup of skag shit about your life or anyone's life (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting because then we have people like like handsome jack right this big bad of the series who's going around and doing these crazy things to the city of Sanctuary and all of its inhabitants. And he's he's seen as a monster, but the people that surround Sanctuary and the and the people that give life to Sanctuary, it's kind of like, well, they aren't that much better. So do you think there's a main antagonist in the series? 
Like if you were to if you were a third party looking in and you saw all these parties sort of squabbling amongst each other, would it be, hey, look, there's this crazy corporation battling this team of ragtag misfits who are in the city of sanctuary? Or is it okay? Everyone's kind of an asshole. And time to just help out people who are trying to help us. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I would necessarily put uh, Sanctuary and the Crimson Raiders personally on the same karmic blip as Hyperion and Bandits. But like I said, like it's a it's a complicated scale in any event. But like however however we do do this, there is just an interesting this interesting aspect in the in all of this like uncaringness of Pandora. Um, we keep having these specific moments in these specific situations where characters' lives and deaths have a visible impact on all these people who otherwise don't seem to care about anyone else's life. Could you give me an example? One of the most direct examples, uh, Jack mindlessly kills everyone, like abuses and imprisons his daughter. And yet, yeah, when Angel dies, Jack, who had been killing so many people throughout the series, including people who worked with him, jumps into an even more murderous frenzy. And uh, um, then on top of that, and I think this is the most directly, is the way that Roland's death is treated in the story. Right. Because Roland's death has a huge emotional impact on characters. There's straight up a mission after his death where you have to individually go up to different members of Sanctuary and deliver the news of Roland's death. Um, watch them mourn and break down crying. There's an entire DLC of Tiny Tina's grieving process. So Roland's death, like, has this huge emotional impact on people who had been so just uncaring and indifferent to and cavalier about other people's lives. Like, whereas now he's being, like, openly grieved. I really liked that DLC's approach to the grieving process and the idea that Roland was this knight in shining armor, literally, to Tina. And every single time there was a bit of difficulty within the DLC as Tina's narrating this entire process and narrative, she would say, and then Roland comes in and and saves the day. And she really definitely held Roland on this high pedestal. And at the very end of that DLC, she comes to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, it's okay that he's gone and that we can remember his memory. And that doesn't make any of the time that Tina did spend with Roland any less special. And that's a lesson that gets really real for a second and tells even the players outside of game that grieving is a natural process. And you shouldn't be brushing things under the rug when such things may or may not happen in your life. And... It was a, it was this really touching moment that I didn't expect from Borderlands 2. Mm-hmm. You know, this game with shooting, looting, explosions, and and a big middle finger to every PR board in the country. But that's the thing, though. Like you said, that's it's surprising. It's unexpected. It's against the grain of the tone of most of how Pandora is seen. So I think what I want to talk about and what I want to go a little bit more in-depth with is... Um, how was that value determined? Why is it that Roland and Angel's um, death, or even Jack's death, has more emotional influence, some positive, some negative, than these bandits you're killing by the literal truckloads, than Face McShooty, than um, even uh, Brick at one point. Like I said, Brick straight up kills his men and allies. Why is it Brick cares about Roland's death, but Brick will actively kill his own men in the slabs? 
my mind immediately goes to the direct impact and just natural fame that these vault hunters have. I feel like Brick and Lilith and Mordecai and Roland, they all have this aura of here are these vault hunters who have taken down an Iridian before with the elements of Borderlands 1. And now that they come to Sanctuary and now that they're trying to run the place and they have this uh, support system of like Tannis and Moxie and Zed and Marcus and all of them sort of came to Sanctuary and have settled here and they're the ones kind of running the show. If one of them dies, it's going to be a lot more impactful than some other random bandit out on the wastelands. At least that's the assumption we're here to make. So basically what you're proposing is, you know, the the value of life is determined by influence, as it were. Like the amount, the number of people who you have a direct effect on in one way or another. You know, I think it also has to do with the fact that some people in the Borderlands universe, like a lot of the enemies, are these absolutely like mentally deranged humans who are actually mentally broken and will just attack on first sight and the idea that they're not capable of forming this sort of like cohesive community like sanctuary whereas people in sanctuary if you look around there are people able to you know have these conversations if you roam around the city there's a quest in which a detective asks you to find a criminal so you know that there's some sort of law here in sanctuary and everyone has this sort of predefined roles and they're very happy to be here and people aren't actively killing each other left and right and center. No one really cares all that much when you just shoot the criminal right there. Like, on the one hand, yes, there is some variance of, like, law, but even in Sanctuary, there's still a lot of this disorganization and kind of craziness. And I think, like, I I can see a little bit of, like, your thoughts on that, how, like, kind of this idea of sanity and, you know, looking for things to rally behind and... Um, like this direct effect on people around them. I can see that. My response to that actually comes from a lot of the lore that we've gotten in this new DLC drop. Oh my goodness. This new DLC is incredible. For those of you who haven't played the new Borderlands 2 free update, Commander Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary, um, you should play it. It's really good. But on top of that, it also drops a lot of really interesting hints both on the world as a whole, but even more directly on how the characters in Sanctuary value each other and value, like, do and don't value different people's lives. And so my response to that is that uh, you do see a lot of very, very close to the same level of insane as the Psychos, a level of people in uh, people like uh, Zed and Tannis. And Scooter, right? And Scooter, I'm actually glad you brought him up, because then on top of that, Scooter's death in Tales from the Borderlands is directly unraveled and revealed and explored more in depth as far as like its effects on the characters in this. And we see a lot more of what happened during Roland's death, where people are personally affected by Scooter and going out of their way to honor him. But the problem is that you have to remember... Maybe not to the extent of Psychos, but Scooter was still fairly insane. And even though Scooter had a fairly direct effect on, I guess, a lot of the people in Sanctuary and his allies, he didn't have Mm -hmm. as direct of an effect as the Crimson Raiders, as a, a lot of individuals do, or even as a lot of its leadership does on the people around it. And so, like, by a lot of the theories that we're putting forward with that, Scooter isn't normally the type of person whose death would be mourned, and yet it is. And so I think... 
where the value of life comes is a little bit more nuanced than that. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. And because the assumption there is that Scooter wasn't well known throughout the entirety of Pandora. And I feel like his catcher ride stations with his voice imprinted on all of them. I feel like a lot more people knew Scooter than the game let on. And not to say that they mourn Scooter's death, but to say that, you know, he didn't have an impact on the people around him, I feel is a bit of a misnomer. I feel like we look at we look at Moxie's response to wanting to to venerate her son's memory and being able to do that by, you know, doing this sick ass jump over his memorial, which <laughs> is a quest in the DLC. But even later on, when we hear the echo that has his last will, not only does he say to take care of his family and the people that raised him and made him who he was, but also to thank the vault hunter and that he was able to vicariously live through them and their adventures. So sure, Scooter might have been a little, I guess, I, I, I guess we could call him insane, but I'd prefer to call him a, like immature. He still had dreams and he still had goals and wanting to give the best life for his family as possible. And I think those things can't go understated. And in in a sense, I guess. But you also have to remember that uh, Scooter is another one of the people who was very kind of cavalier about other people's lives where he uh, mentions at one point. What is it like? 26% more than 36% death annually. That is down from last year. (laughs) So, hey, hey, at least he's looking to reduce those casualties regarding his uh, his cars that he's selling, right? All right, we're getting an incoming transmission. We'll be right back. Commander, I apologize for the interruption. You have an important incoming transmission. Lower party hosts Abu Zafar and Leah Wiggins would like to let you know that they're jumping through the Omega-4 relay and returning to the world of Mass Effect. They're hoping you'll join them on the Normandy and be a part of the crew. Just look for the Mass Effect episodes in the main lore party feed. End of transmission. Returning you to your episode. Where my theory comes in a little bit more, and where I personally think the value of life comes from in the Borderlands universe, I think it's more like the act of vault hunting that makes people value each other. Hmm. That's... All right, I'm listening. Maybe more specifically, the act of living together on Pandora in pursuit of a common goal. Okay. But that includes, in the case of the Crimson Raiders, vault hunting. There's one point um, we actually see very similar reaction to Roland's death when uh, Morty's life is threatened in the DLC. A lot of people, including Tina, Lilith, and Brick, um, who we've already talked about, uh, start breaking down and becoming emotional at the thought of Morty dying. And Morty's potential death is mourned just as much as Gooder's or Roland's. And there's one point when a Brick says, uh, I forget the exact way he words it, but something to the effect of, it's been the four of us from the very beginning. Like we, We've always had each other's backs. Yeah, yeah, even when we haven't agreed, we've always had each other's backs. And I think that's where it is. And I think that's why Brick might value Roland and Morty and Scooter's life uh, more than he necessarily valued even the lives of his own slabs. And that these are the people that he's not just lived with, but these are the people that he's lived with in pursuit of a common goal. Finding these vaults, bringing down Hyperion, 
So it's the idea of having a common goal, less so of vault hunting, but vault hunting is one of those goals. Yeah. But it's having a common goal that's really bringing these people together, whether it be taking down Jack or taking out these robots that are attacking the city or trying to get this noxious gas out of here, right? Exactly. And I think like, and so I think that's where it ends up kind of tying into everything. And that's where I think it all ends up coming together is in all of these theories that it could be any combination of the fact that like Roland himself valued the lives of others. The fact that, um, you know, the, the, these effects people had on each other. And I think that all ties into this idea of Pandora is a hostile environment. And so working together with the common goal to not just survive, but to accomplish something beyond that is what makes people on Pandora value each other more than these other people that they're fighting or these other people that they merely happen to be living with. And sort of on the flip side of that coin, something that would result in people not valuing the life of anybody on Pandora. I think it's it's implicit in their willingness to participate mm-hmm. because even in the brick example that you gave of, hey, even though he kills his own slabs, the slabs you fight are also deranged psychopaths. Brick just found a way to control them, right? And I feel like everybody or everything in Borderlands kind of breaks down into a couple categories. It's either they're hostile toward everything, including themselves. Either they're they're sane and they don't care if they kill people or they're sane and they care about killing people. And I feel like people like Lilith and Mordecai and Roland would fall into the to the last of those categories. People like people like Brick, like Marcus, um, those people would be a bit more morally neutral. And then everybody else is kind of like, listen, if you want to help by all means, I'm going to kill you if you don't. I, I, I feel like I, I think that's where I would put down the delineation of if I were a new person coming to Pandora, who would I want to be my friends and who would I most mourn if they if, if they passed? Right. And I think that's how it also aligns with the narrative that that the people who are I guess, quote unquote, supposed to feel emotional about, we do feel emotional about without them having to tell us about it because they were the people that did help us. It's it's an interesting and it's a complicated thing. And so I, and yeah, I definitely think, like I said, it's it's this incredibly complex network of this moral nuance of um, whose, lives, whose lives are valued by who and why. And I think, like I said, how deep that goes is a big why, part of why Borderlands is as great and as interesting as it is. That's all we have for today. Be sure to check out our Twitter at lore underscore party and tell us your thoughts on this episode. How do you think the value of life is defined in the Borderlands universe? Be sure to give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. To access our archive of previous episodes, you can find us at loreparty.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.